0: So we're in our series on the Minor Prophets. We're going to look at Obadiah. uh, And I doubt that many people have read Obadiah lately in their, you know, Bible reading personally. Uh, And uh, this is the shortest Old Testament book. So if you want to get some Old Testament, this is the one for you because it's only 21 verses long. And as I read this, you're going to see that this is spoken to a territory called Edom. And uh, it's a neighboring territory of Judah. We're going to see more of that in a second. But the, So when uh, Obadiah is, is speaking the word of the Lord, speaking to Edom, the, the pronoun you is the people of Edom. And then the name Esau is another way of referring to this same nation uh, because uh, the descendants of Esau are the Edomites. Okay? Then there's Judah. That's God's people. Uh, Then you'll see them also referred to as Jerusalem, the capital city, and then also Jacob, because they're the descendants of Jacob. Jacob and Esau being brothers, uh, sons of Isaac. All that will probably be even more confusing as we go on, but just so that you know who these people are, uh, Edom and Esau, Judah, Jerusalem, and Jacob. So uh, would you stand with me as we just want to hear from the Word of God God is speaking to us, and we long to hear uh, what he has. So the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night... How you would have destroyed, have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have, have uh, driven you from your border. Uh, those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter? Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and, wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountains, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. And it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and th- uh, there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. those of the Negeb shall possess Mount uh, Esau and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land, the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall, shall possess Gilead. The, ex, the exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exile of Jerusalem, who are in Shepharad, shall possess the cities of the Negev, saviors, shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It's a lot for us to digest, but let's pray. Father, uh, be with us. This is your word, given through your prophet, written and spoken to the people of Obadiah's day, but God, it's included in your word for us now. So Father, help us to understand what's going on, God, by your spirit, would you reveal our own hearts? And yet, Father, even as we see uh, things that are not so beautiful, things that are in rebellion against you, God, I pray that we would uh, fall on Jesus, uh, that we would uh, claim him by faith, and the gospel would flow to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may have heard it said, money... Can't buy happiness. But it seems that we all live as if it can, right? You know, actually, some memes on the internet want you to know that whoever said money can't buy you happiness, they didn't know where to shop. (laughs) Anyway, uh, there seems to be a lot of wisdom uh, in our world that's been discovered over time, yet it is amazing how much of it uh, people, myself included, just ignore. Really solid wisdom. You know, those things, even if I know them, I find myself going the other way. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson said, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. Okay? Spoken to people that are all about results and all about what, we, you know, kind to just seeing how we did that day, but yet it's already done. Uh, focus on the things that we actually can do in front of us, or John Wood, you know, famous basketball coach, do not let making a living prevent you from making a life, solid wisdom, uh, especially in a workaholic culture where we pursue success at all things, Babe Ruth, great baseball player, never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game, right, uh, you know, words to live by, you could say, yet it seems we typically brush off solid wisdom, things like this, and maybe even do the opposite. You know, isn't it strange when we actually are given solid wisdom in front of us, we don't live by it, something else has to be in the mix. You know, here's good ideas that we don't take. Even ideas we think are good ideas. We don't live by them. What else is in the mix? I would submit to you that there is something in the human heart that is deceived to think, uh, deceived to think that there is something better to chase after than what stands in front of us as wisdom. Now, God offers his wisdom, not necessarily through the mouth of Babe Ruth or Robert Louis Stevenson, but he, he gives it to us in his word, but yet we know it, we agree with it. Isn't it amazing that we find ourselves living in a different way? We chase after things that end up leaving us hollow, things not delivering on what they promised, yet we continue to chase after the very next thing. I think it's the human condition. We were created by God to be dependent upon God in his good creation, his goodness uh, to us, getting our life from him and getting our life in what he says life should be. Instead, that story lasted two chapters of the Bible. Instead, we think that life is found in other things. Life is found outside of what God says, outside of a life dependent upon Him. We think we know better. We think we can live a life how we define it. We think we know how to live in this world better than the Creator of the world. That's the human condition. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 1 that they, just speaking of people, uh, before knowing Christ, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. If you want to know what's wrong with this world, that's it. If you want to know what's wrong with your heart in its natural state, that's it. Because what's in there, exchanging truth for a lie, it's deception. Right, You've been given truth and you put that off and you take a lie and you hold to it. There's a deception going on in this world. But also, did you catch, when we do that exchange, we end up worshiping and serving the lie that we bought. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We are enslaved by the very thing we're deceived to believe. So there's a deception going on and we're enslaved by it. That's the story of Obadiah. Because in Obadiah, we see the deception of earthly security. So here's Edom uh, trusting in all of these earthly things. Um, And so they had wealth, they had military uh, security, they had allies, uh, they had a lot of things, they had wisdom, they had a lot of things going for them. Here's verse 3 of Obadiah. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? They were deceived by their own pride. So what what are these things referring to? You you, uh, lived in the clefts of the rock. You lived in your lofty places. What's going on? Uh, Even in the next verse, it says, They soared like an eagle. Their nest was in the stars. Edom's, Edom's pride was its fatal thinking that no one could conquer them. Why? Because Edom is nearly 5,000 feet above sea level. And, you know, if you know anything about military strategy, the high ground is the best ground uh, for winning a conflict. And so Edom was mostly inaccessible because of its elevation. Uh, And So in terms of a military attack, they were just secure based on where they were. One city uh, is actually uh, the name of the city is uh, similar to the Hebrew word for rock, basically a high rock, which this was. It, so verse 3 is really a play on words. You live in the cleft of the rock. You may have heard the of the place Petra um, in uh, in this area, that like these places of living inside of the, you know, kind of carved into these rocks. That's, that's where Edom, that's, that's in Edom. Uh, these people were perched on this elevated plateau, stiff cliffs, or steep cliffs on either side, and only one way up to some of the cities. Good luck getting in there if you're a military that wants to take them over. And so they felt very secure. Edom's geographical location was high in the clefts and on the heights. But they also had great wealth. So they felt completely secure, and then they had great wealth. And this is where Obadiah 6, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. You know, their wealth was obtained by trading, uh, looting other people, by mining. They had great resources in iron and copper in that region. Uh, They had all the wealth they needed. They couldn't be conquered. Uh, They had security because of their homeland. Uh, And then On top of that, they were allied with the world's greatest powers, okay? Uh, Edom, uh, they weren't great militarily, but they were friends of those who were, okay? Sounds similar to some people in this world right now, right? You know, it relied on powerful allies for their security, and they were in a great position in the world because they were friends of all the great military powers, then they also had wisdom and knowledge that they took pride in, Obadiah 8. You know, will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? You know, their wisdom and their insight kept them uh, kind of above the rest of the world. And so, it, it, so their pride rested in their wealth in their geographical location, which was security, their military allies, and their wisdom. Back to verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. They had everything going for them, and that was what they lived by. Oddly enough, the danger of, of this sin, the sin of pride, the sin of uh, kind of resting on what is earth, our earthly security, that creeps in when life is going well. When the stock market takes off, when we see abundance and success uh, in our economy like we have never before, when our kids are doing well, when, when health-wise we're dodging the bullet, uh, when prosperity and influence and the relative ease of life Yeah, we're we're talking to each other here. When that occurs, the danger of what occurs here in Edom is the biggest danger. Because it doesn't look like wanton sin and rebellion, but it is equally as great a trap that when security and prosperity and relative ease is is true of of our life, isn't it amazing how easy it is to take uh, any kind of surrender to God out of the equation and just live on what he has given to us. Pride can easily set in. And it, what one uh, author said, it ripens men for ruin. So there's this, the deception of earthly, uh, earthly uh, security, but also the disregard for other people's pain okay so in this book edom is is a, a neighboring territory of judah and they sat by and watched as judah and jerusalem were destroyed so if you like maps today's for you okay uh so um though they're a little bit light up here so if you know anything about uh kind of the world geography this right here is the mediterranean sea this is italy Okay, you know, we got Spain over here. And so Israel is on this side of the Mediterranean. Okay, We're going to zoom in and we're going to focus up here because this is where Babylon is. This is where Assyria is, Nineveh, where Jonah went, the Medes. And so here's Israel. We're going to focus in and keep going. So, so here we have Babylon and Assyria. Assyria was the one that took Israel out in 722 B.C., Babylon is the one that is going to ultimately take Judah out in 586 B.C., okay? So Assyria and Babylon are the two big boys uh, in this picture. So we, we zoom in, and so here's, here, here are these, but then here is Israel. So the nation of Israel, the north, this is actually Judah, and here's, I feel like my head's going to probably block this, um, here's Edom down here. So this is Judah. This is Edom. I think we get a little bit better zoom here. So Judah and Edom. So this is how close they are. Remember, Edom is the descendants of Esau. Judah, the descendants of Jacob. Brothers back, uh, grandsons of Abraham. Okay, so what's going on? So when we're going to talk about the disregard for other people's pain, the people of Edom just sit idly by when the people of Judah are getting attacked and taken over. They sit there and almost enjoy it. Actually, we're going to see that they actually do. And this is what God is talking about. Does that make sense? All right, great. Uh, And so verse 11 is what that is. Okay? On the day uh, that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. So they're not the ones attacking. They were just sitting off on the sidelines, enjoying the fact that Judah was getting, uh, getting pill- pillaged and conquered. Uh, you know, so Jacob and Esau were brothers. They hated each other, even though they eventually reconciled. And then Edom hates Judah. Nice sibling rivalry that lasted for centuries. You stood aloof as strangers pillaged your brother. That's a stark statement. You know, God moves against them because the good that they knew they should have done, they didn't do. You might be in a similar circumstance, might think, well, I didn't hurt that person. You know, I didn't do anything wrong. All the while, you know you need to enter in. You need to do something and you don't do it. In a sense, it's the sin of omission, not doing something wrong, but not doing what we know you should. But here's what's interesting about the people of Edom. They didn't stop at just sitting by, right? They end up gloating and enjoying Judah's misfortune. Okay, verses 12 to 14, we don't have time to read all of it again, are are eight prohibitions. Sometimes they're repeated, but uh, against specific things that they are not to do in the day of Judah's misfortune, in the day of their ruin, in the day of their distress, in the day of their calamity. Do not what? Do not gloat. Do not rejoice over their ruin. Don't boast that didn't happen to you. Don't enter their gate and go get their stuff because somebody else did. And don't loot them. And to cap it all off, verse 14. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So people are running out of Judah for their lives. And what does Edom do? Instead of letting them run to safety, they cut them off at the crossroads and hand them back over uh, to their conquerors. That's just cold. As I studied this passage this week, if uh, you watch the news at all in the last month, it's just staggering the overlap. You know, I couldn't help but think about Ukraine and Russia. And I'm, uh, you know, you stood aloof on the day that foreigners entered his gates. And I'm not equating Ukraine to the covenant people of God in Judah. I'm not making that claim at all. But it is an oddly interesting parallel. That we ought to care when things are happening to people around us. But if we tie together the idea of earthly security and we tie together the ignoring of people's pain, you know, pride can, uh, you know, over our earthly security can easily move us into looking down on people, can it? You know, wondering why they don't have life figured out like we do? Or... Uh, You know, finding ourselves because we think we've somehow figured it out and we're kind of, we got our act together and they don't. We we feel better than them. We feel uh, superior to them. And it ultimately cuts us off from people because you think all your stuff and all your success has elevated you. It's ultimately deception. And so when we are deceived and when we find ourselves in disregard, what is the principle of sowing and reaping? So the first two points were about us. Now we're going to start talking about God and how he responds to us in our natural state. This passage is loaded with tons of reversal language, okay? meaning that what they, the Edomites, enjoyed or the things that they did will be, if they enjoyed it, it'll be undone. If they did it, it will be done to them. And the day of the Lord is the phrase in which this shows up. More detail coming next week when we get to Zephaniah. Uh, But basically, there will be a day in the course of life and a day that sets your eternity, probably two different ones, where the patience of God over your sin and my sin will be no more. Did you catch that? There will be a day when God's patience over your sin will be no more and you will meet the awesome power of God and I don't say that lightly. the wrath that we deserve for betraying a holy and righteous God the the, the, the holy God that we sang about for those first two songs, the wrath that we deserve is the wrath that is poured out uh, on Edom is the wrath that's poured out on the other nations uh, is could you say, the wrath that God poured out on Jesus. And so the good news of the gospel is, if you're hearing this, you're like, this is so harsh. Why would God do this? Is because he is offended and betrayed in his holiness. And that is the picture of all mankind. That's where we are. This is what we deserve. But the beauty and the good news of the gospel is that instead of pouring his wrath out on me, he poured his wrath out on his son. Put Jesus as the, as the one who reaps what we sowed. Whew. The good news of the gospel is, yes, there is a deserved judgment for sin when we say, God, you don't know, and we do. God, you are not on the throne. We are. God, we have a better way. We think we know better yeah, you made the world, thanks, but there is a deserved judgment for that, and the beauty of the gospel is that is that we are people who know we deserve that, and yet we stand outside of that because it's been poured out on another. We sang that song, and there's a phrase in that third song that, that Build your kingdom here. And it's that, uh, that we are the church and we are the hope on earth. Every time I sing it, I'm like, I hope we can put that in context because that sounds really arrogant, right? But why would God's church, God's people who actually know him, why would we be the hope on earth? Is because we proclaim the truth. We proclaim the truth of God's judgment over sin that everybody on this planet deserves. And we proclaim his free grace available to those who submit to him by faith. We're not the hope. But we actually have hope for this world because we point to the one who is. Because the principle of sowing and reaping is what you do will fall on your head. The day of the Lord, verse 15, is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Sowing, whatever you put in the ground, planting, is what you will reap, is what you will harvest. Galatians 6, Apostle Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, who, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What are you putting in the ground? Is it self-serving or is it in submission to the living God? Those are the two options. And God Will not be mocked. Because this is what he pours out. This is what was reaped by the Edomites for their sin. Verse 2 Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be utterly despised. They puffed themselves up, God will bring them low. They felt secure from their from their wealth. Oh Esau, you've been pillaged, your treasure sought out. They had wealth to make secure, God took it from them. Uh, they, had, they put great stock in their allies. Then those allies are the very ones that turn against them. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They've prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set up a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Basically, it's the people that eat your bread that, are, that you invite to your dinner table as a nation, so to speak. They're the ones that have turned on you. The very thing you trusted in is now your demise. God frustrates their understanding. Summarized in verse 10, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. God cannot be mocked. What are you putting in the ground? Because there's an interesting part of this. Yes, there's the principle of sowing and reaping. But there's also the principle of grace and mercy. Because if we get what we deserved, this is the worst sermon ever preached. But yet there are some who will actually receive that. Unless somebody else receives it on in your stead. Because Obadiah is the opposite pattern of Habakkuk, which Todd just preached. You know, this is bad news for the nations, for Edom, and good news for God's people. And it's good news because God suspends the principle of sowing and reaping, at least our sowing. You know, actually, we rely on the sowing of another and the reaping of another. Okay, because what we see is this restoration in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. And Mount Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Mount Zion is the place of the temple where God dwells. It shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Remember, they've, they've kind of been, you know, they're the ones that got attacked. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. The house of Esau, a stubble. Jacob is a southern kingdom. Joseph is a northern kingdom. And Esau is the, the neighboring territory that is now going to be burned up by, uh, by the nation that God brings back. They shall burn them and consume them. There shall be no survivor the Lord has spoken. It's basically bringing God's people back together. Here's the gospel. The gospel is, is found in the person of Jesus. That we get to this place that saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The Old Testament deliverers, the Old Testament judges, are a foretaste of an ultimate deliverer and an ultimate savior. Just as Jacob and Esau were vying for the blessing of their father, and even the, uh, the blessing of their grandfather Abraham, they were brought into, we are brought into that promised Blessing. How? Galatians 3, we, now the promises that were made to Abraham, Jacob and Esau's grandfather, and to his offspring, it does not say offsprings, plural, referring to many, but to one who, and to your offspring, who is Christ. What does that mean? Is that because of Jesus, the promise goes to Abraham and through Jesus, where? To those who are his people, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. What's beautiful is in Amos 9, it talks about not just the salvation of Judah and God's people, it talks about the salvation of those in Edom. How cool is that! That this is not just a centralized salvation for the, the the actual physical nation of Israel. This is for spiritual Israel where God is going to draw his people to him. In that day, I'll raise up the booth of David that's fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and build it um, as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my Name The beauty is, is that this is a promise not just for people who uh, were, knew the things of God. This is a promise that flows to all the world. And that's why we go back to verse 21, that the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The acknowledgement of God, and God as God alone, you can sum up the rest of human history with those words. Human history and eternity, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Isn't it so true, though? God, please don't give me what I deserve. (laughs) God, please treat me according to your grace and mercy. God, treat me according to the grace and mercy that I know uh, because of faith in Christ. If you don't have faith in Jesus today the one who is the real and true and ultimate deliverer. If you don't have faith in Christ, you stand on your own and your own merit before a holy and righteous God. The scriptures are very clear. Every human other than Jesus that has walked the face of this planet deserves the wrath that has fallen on Edom to fall on us. if you are standing on your own merit before the holy and righteous God that is not a place you want to be the gospel is the grace of God the love of God given to us through Christ so that we might know him and might have real life so that we are actually restored to what we were created for not for earthly security and pride and arrogance and taking stock and all of that but created to know the living God and to submit and surrender to him. Is that where you are today? If you aren't, we would love to talk to you after this service. We would love to explain the gospel to you, the gospel of God's grace so that God's judgment falls on Jesus instead of you. So let's pray. God, sobering words, no question about it, but yet God, you Put this in your word for our benefit, that we would understand uh, a topic that is not popular in our world and that idea of sin and its consequences and judgment. But yet, God, the beauty of the gospel overcomes all of that. Father, that I'm brought in, others are brought in as sons and daughters of the king, when we deserved nothing but wrath, we're now sitting at your table. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his deliverance. Thank you for the promise of the good news uh, that comes to us because of what he did on our behalf. Father, I pray that you would stir people in this room. God, by the Holy Spirit, would today be the day of salvation. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.